technical issues today. It is Monday. It is Hometown Heroes. And so before we get going into the show, we're going to talk about the new year and new shows, new things that are coming up. So coming up, (coughs) are going to be, one, the same great shows you know and love. You know, Mondays will still be Hometown Heroes. Tuesdays will be all about travel and how to live a better life both physically, mentally, but also with your wallets, with travel. Wednesdays will be health and nutrition. Thursdays will be family. And Fridays, as always, is our legendary Captain Len Kane. Now, Tuesday nights is Heather Mahoney and Roadmapping Your Life, and she talks about how to transition your life. And a lot of her guests, she actually goes through the road mapping process on the air. And then coming up Friday mornings is Courage Rising and we break down trauma. What trauma is, how tra- how to overcome it. And Monday mornings is Revly in the morning. And it's all about looking at faith and ways to get your week off on the right path. And not only do we have this show and this platform, but we're going to be doing more Facebook Lives and bringing on guests on social media and running different radio shows, not only this way, but also through our social media accounts. Coming up this summer, we're going to be having seminars and webinars on mental health issues, physical health issues, housing, um, all different pillars of the Hope Collection, for you to have resources and links to be able to help wherever you're struggling with in life. And this summer is also when we're going to be launching our sister program, our TV shows, which you will find on Roku, Amazon, and Fire.
So not only will you listen to us, you know, through the podcasting, through the radio shows, but you'll also be able to listen and see us on TV and be accessible that way. With the new year and the new time starting out and some of our new shows and all this other stuff going on, let's talk about a little bit about our hosts for each show. So you have me, Mary Stanley, who's a certified hypnotherapist, a certified mental health trauma specialist, and I'm also an integrated behavioral therapist and trained in working with special needs, including autism. On Tuesdays, Rick Reese, who is also a former veteran of the United States Air Force, is... um, one of the lead individuals with Surge 365 and his own ministry service. And he runs Marketplace Ministries, which is for individuals and small businesses looking to use faith to help them reach that higher level in life. On Tuesday nights, you have Heather Mahoney, who's a Navy veteran as well and a certified life coach, among other credentials, and wrote her own book on how to roadmap your life and uses that to help teach others how to transition in life. Monday mornings, you have Ed the Theologian, who is a veteran and used his own struggles that he went through in life to help uplift you and where you're struggling in life. And then Fridays is Captain Len Kane, five-time Nobel Peace Prize nominee, humanitarian award recipient, Navy veteran, the the man who built helped build Melmar Air Force or Naval School and was the original Top Gun. So when you hear our shows, you hear what we're doing and what we're talking about. We have one the credentials, but two we also have the experience. <coughs> Now, when you follow us social media, we have a Facebook group called Optimize My Life. And that's through these Facebook through the Facebook group where if there's a show you're looking for or you have an idea for a topic for a show, let us know. In these groups, you turn around and you um, can talk to all the hosts. Most of them have their own chats to go with it. And all of our hosts have businesses outside of the radio 
So they do have that experience and that expertise, but you can get and talk to them one-on-one to where you're struggling to get that help and input and resources that you need. You know, there's a lot of areas where we're looking to meet. And if you're interested in coming on the show, send us a message. You know, here at Optimize My Life, our goal is to talk about the issues, but focus on solutions to those issues. Our goal is to help you live the best life. We offer you hope, and with hope, there's freedom to make those choices, live the best life that you can. You know, last week we celebrated and honored Martin Luther King Jr. And so today let's talk a little bit about the stigma when it comes to mental health. The stigmas of what we're struggling with in life. You know, so many of us live under this impression that reaching for help is a sign of failure. When in reality, it's the opposite. You know, it takes greater strength to reach out and get help than it does to sit and struggle in your own areas. You know, reaching out for help is one of the hardest things you're ever going to do, but it's also one of the most rewarding things you do. There's so many different things going on. There's so many things in the world going on today. And it's so hard to wade through the noise. You know, turn on any social, turn on your social media, look at your Facebook page, look at your, you know, Instagram feed. There is so much there. It's overwhelming. And one of the things that I find insane is now... I've gotten um, information about um, apparently a class action lawsuit for social media because of the mental health struggles when it comes to social media. And just joining us is Beth, our host on Wednesdays. 
I was going through um, Hi, Mary. our shows and um, the credentials to go with the, sh- with the different shows and how, you know, we're not just certified in different fields, but we also live the world that we talk about. We've experienced it on top of it all. Oh, yes. Um, do you want me to give a little background of my credentials? <laughs> I yeah I I got you at nutritionist and dietitian but other than that you've got too many letters behind your name for me. Um yes and sorry if you can hear water in the background we have a boil water advisory so I'm trying to get drinking water ready for the afternoon. Oh um, man, that's a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, so my credentials and my background I am a registered dietitian. And so what that means is that I did my undergraduate studies in nutrition science, graduated, and then went on for a year-long internship so that I could be qualified to sit for the national um, registration examination for dietitians. So it's a national registration um, and certification, and then individually, each, most states, not Vermont, um, I found out, but New York certainly has it. Um, they have their own letters that they like to put on your name as well um, to show that you're qualified within the state. It's much like medical licenses where you need to be nationally a doctor, but then also licensed in whatever state you're practicing in. Um, I did go for my master's in public health. So I have those letters, and I have a master's degree in public health. Um, And I'm also a certified diabetes educator, um, which was just additional training that I took um, to learn even more about diabetes. And um, that really goes into more than just the lifestyle modifications for diabetes, but also into, like, the medical management of the disease. So... Yeah, uh, those, those, are, those are all my letters. <laughs> you know, listening to, you know, I didn't realize, you know, to become a nutritionist, how much work goes into it. Because I did it through the military. So, so for us, yeah, um, we take, you know, a three-year course and shove it into six months. And then take the board certification test. <laughs> yeah. And um, so it's in the civilian it's world. Interesting. It's like, my undergrad. Yeah. My undergrad is one course different than pre-med um, because I had a friend who did a dual major pre-med and nutrition. And the only difference is that she had to take cell biology. The rest of it's exactly the same. <laughs> yeah. It's insane. Really, one thing that I love with you is that you do everything practical. You know, we share a lot on social media, different things that come up, but there's so many fly-by-night nutritionists and dietitians or claim to be whatever. They take a a five-minute course, but their whole living better, eating better mojo is all unsustainable. Yeah, that's that's one of my big 
kind of, uh, I guess, like soapbox things is that whatever you do needs to be sustainable, right? It's not, and it's, it's almost never, right? I, I usually don't like absolutes. Um, it's almost never about cutting out a food group or taking some magic food that's going to work every day. It's about behavior change. Um, and that's actually something that's really interesting with our degree, right, with the undergrad in nutrition science. It covers more than just, like, metabolism and disease. Like, yes, that's a huge part of what we learn is human metabolism, um, disease, the influences of different nutrients on the disease process. But then also there's a lot of, um, like, cultural training for different how different cultures interact and use food, um, behavior modification and counseling techniques. Um, because, and then also, a uh, part that I don't really use is um, management, food service management, and managing either like large industrial kitchens. So think like um, like school food service. It's actually where Look I did a lot of my internship within school food service. What? Um, working in the food, um, in the kitchen part for um, like hospitals, you know, like my first duty when I got my certifications for nutrition was um, preparing meals and learning how to put the meals together for people in the hospital. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and running those kitchens and doing like uh, food service operations is it's actually ends up being like a really big part of the um, certification exam and it's a lot of memorization like that I found the the metabolism and nutrient piece of it a little bit easier because there's a little bit more critical thinking and a little bit less of like intent I guess there's still memorization but I just always felt like the food service management there's so much that you have to just remember the exact numbers and I'm actually redoing a food safety training right now um, just to stay up to date. And it, it's so much memorizing of temperatures and um, you know, how fast things have to move through the danger zone and all this. How to yeah, cool food so all down quickly and correctly and how long it can sit on your counter. Yeah, yeah. And knowing, like, what tools to use like do you have a cool stir stick um uh, do you have the like you know shallow half pans to spread the food out better <laughs> all kinds That's of different stuff right that now. you wouldn't think of because <laughs> yeah. you know, that was the one thing like in the army when we got trained is we literally worked at the kitchen we had to learn how when you become a nutritionist in the army you start out as a cook you have to learn what goes into food and okay. how to prepare food before you can tell someone how to eat the food. And so, you know, I learned to cook. I like that. That's kitchen. great. It was fun. A little scary because, you know, we're cooking for not only, you know, um, soldiers, but we're cooking for, like, lieutenants and generals and things, you know, that have to be pretty, not just eat. Because, you know, the big con- misconception is is that, you know, you see, you know, the military cooking, you know, on TV and movies, and it's just flop on a tray. Yes, 
that's how it works for soldiers. But when you go to a general, it's like Gordon Ramsay and, you know, five-star restaurant. It better look deal. nice. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so when I moved here and started, you know, setting up my kitchen, I set it up that way. I have all the different trays and different spoons and different pans for different things. And my husband gets mad at me because I'm like, stop, you're using the wrong pan. You're using the wrong thing. This goes I love that. <laughs> That sounds great to have it set up like that. I would love, I would love nothing more than like, it's so unbecoming for a kitchen. I would love nothing more than like a steel countertop that I can easily sanitize and like, it would just, it would make my soul so happy. Right. That's what I want. You know, or, or even just a, I wanted originally a marble till I learned how bad they stain. But, you know, just an epoxy counter where you can cut everything on it, you can do everything on it, and just scrape it into the garbage can when you're done. Our kitchens are not designed practical for actual cooking anymore. No, they're made for show. They're made to look nice. But, you know, the one aspect Don't get me wrong. yeah. You can have pretty but practical at the same time. Yeah. You can have practical but yeah. pretty at the same time. <laughs> but usually they don't work two and two. You know, when I was getting my certifications, you know, we had to try all the diets. And the respect yeah. that I got from you what you guys do is with the liquid diets. And how to liquid diet pureed diet. Oh yeah. How to take regular food and make it taste good, but still look good. Yeah. It's, um, pureed food has come a long way. They have now like molds so that you can still make it look like food. Right. Because a lot of, a lot of our appetite, right. Is, is visually based. Like if it looks good, you're going to eat more of it versus like, if it looks horrible honestly even if it tastes good you're not going to eat as much of it because it looks bad so it's um yeah that's challenging but it's come a long way you know this is where the mental health aspect of it comes into play too because if it looks bad you your mind automatically thinks it tastes bad even it can Absolutely. taste like the best thing in the world, but it's you're automatically thinking, "Oh my God, this looks like you know something that came out the wrong end of an animal." Yeah. It's, you're not gonna like it. I always find it funny. You know, is that? Go ahead. I was gonna say, like, I just remember coming home from co- my mom used to make food for our dog um, when I was in college because there was like a huge dog food recall and. I was going to say, like, if it looks like dog food, you're not going to eat it. But then I thought of when she did that, and it honestly just, like, looked like a casserole, and I genuinely thought it was, like, human food. So you opened it, and it smelled a little funny because of, like, the vitamins she had to put into it. But other than that, it looked like a casserole in a Tupperware in the fridge. Yeah. Isn't that funny how some people treat their animals better than themselves? It reminds me of the old TV commercials. You know, or TV shows where, you know, someone's eating into a dish or eating a cookie. And she's like, 
they taste funny. She goes, yeah, they're not for you. They're for the dog. I just got done making them. Yeah. And uh, I remember back with my uncle, he, we grew up on tuna fish, spam and tuna fish. And he was taking a can of cat food out for his cat, and he was so, so used to, you know, licking the, the knife that, you know, he licked the knife right after he opened it and, you know, scraped it into the dish. You just see your face. But, you know, the one thing growing up that I always thought was funny, and I didn't think about it till now, you know, watching my kids and me, when something tastes good, we don't want to share it. But the minute it tastes bad, we, like, automatically hand it to somebody else. Here, try this. Does this taste funny? <laughs> Ew, eat this. Yeah. <coughs> <coughs> Uh, yeah, and one of the other parts, getting back to, like, the credentialing aspect, um, and this is part that I really try to bring to my show on Wednesdays, is the um, the analytic research component. Not that I'm running any sort of research on the show, but uh, being able to interpret research and then also recognize what can be applied to a general population, what can't, um, and some of that um, – Research interpretation, critical thinking is what I really try to bring to Wednesdays, um, you know, because it's it's worth putting out there, <clears throat> and it doesn't get the same, uh, I guess, like, publicity, right, as, like, something quick and trendy. Something quick and right. trendy stirs more emotion, so it's going to travel farther um, versus something it is like research facts tends to be a little bit drier um, and so it doesn't really kind of pick up and travel quite the same way um, on social media and during conversations and things like that. Um, well, a lot of us don't know how to read that. You know, that's what we were talking about before you popped on was, you know, how to wade through the noise of social media, you know, just because it's bright and shiny and it, you know, guarantees quick results doesn't mean it's really going to happen and it may not be the best way to do something and you know like being a diabetic you know it used to be counting carbs and counting calories and counting this and counting this and having to put all that together was insane and it's yeah i and one of my things in practice is to try to make things simple, right? Because especially like with diabetes, yeah, your carb intake does matter. But if you start stressing over it, that stress level is going to drive your blood sugar up anyway. So like you have to find this happy medium where, yes, you're keeping track of your carb intake, but you're also not stressing out like, oh, is this 16 grams or 18 grams? It literally doesn't matter. It's two grams different. Found it to 15 makes it easier to count and you move on. Like, um, so that's like my whole, my whole guiding principle is to take things and simplify them because we're not, we're not machines, right? Like, so when we, when you eat something, when I eat something, our bodies are going to process it ever so slightly differently. So it's still like kind of a shot in the dark to say, how much of it you're going to absorb and do you absorb all 15 grams? And if you start going down that rabbit hole and you're never going to eat anything because you're going to freak out about how much of it you're absorbing, 
you just, you know, just lean into the fact that it's not exact, so you don't have to be exact, and it takes a lot of the stress away. It does. You know, that's where, you know, why Jenny Craig was so big in the 90s, because they had a point system, and, you know, they told you what to eat and how to eat it and how you could buy the meals. But, and it worked. Yeah, she was the one that did the frozen meals, right? Yep. You know, and it worked while you were on the program. The problem was they never taught you how to eat off the program. So when you got off, you started gaining all that weight again. Yeah, and that's, I used to like, I used to like the way that Weight Watchers was set up. I feel like they changed their system every couple of years, and now there's so many free foods. And I'm like, that's great that you're trying to encourage intake of, like, healthier food options. You can still, like, if somebody truly overeats and is binge eating, they're still going to eat too much. Like, it's not helpful. Um, But at one point, basically everything had a point of going to it. And I thought that worked well in terms of, like, commercially available diets. My issue with places like that was the meal serving sizes. They made such good food and it was so rich, you could only have a little bit. So you're hungry in a couple hours. So like they're frozen varieties? Yeah. It was this concept of eat less, but it was, you know, extreme to me and how much, how little you would got. It was like a kid's TV dinner, basically. And how an adult really is not sustainable. You know, you could eat two of them and still be hungry by the time you were done. Yeah, because a lot of those were, like, what, like 250, 300 calories for a frozen meal. If you actually read the package, it told you to add, like, a side salad, if I'm remembering correctly. Like, it basically said right on it, like, this is in a whole meal. Um, because it's not. Like, that's not enough. <laughs> it's like a snack. It's a heavy snack. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> now, the one thing I do like is how it's confusing for me was the, how we switched from the pyramid to the plate. But now we've gotten into this ah. point system and how we figure out how to eat better. But you can eat more food. Yeah. Is it a point system now? Kind of, sort of. I need to look at it. I do, so I'll either do like a healthy plate setup with people, usually with like teenagers, right, where I don't really want them logging their food yet um, because it just gets, gets too involved and there's very low compliance. But then also like, are too young to start getting hung up, hung up on numbers. It usually ends poorly and with some sort of eating disorder. Um, so either like a healthy plate method where it's like, okay, when you're looking at your plate, this is what it should look like. Or um, with adults, I'll either do like an exchange system, which is actually like a huge throwback almost um, to who did it? I think it was the American Diabetes Association. It's like an exchange system to try to help diabetics. Diabetics, like I want to say it was like the late 90s. 
Um, so it's almost, almost a throwback to that. But the exchange system is, is actually what I base my workbook on, too, because it helps you look at your plate and, and you're not thinking about numbers, right? Like, nobody can look at their plate and say, like, okay, this is this number of grams of this, about this number of grams of that. You can look at it and say, like, okay, it's about a half cup of this, a, a cup of that, and go from there. Because you have to find a way to, like, translate it into food. And I think that's what they were trying to do with the plate like translate it into something that people actually conceptualize but i went like i gotta go look at this new thing that they have then and see what i think build an opinion with the my plate and with the new eating thing and all these fad eating ways to eat how much damage are we doing to our kids by restricting all the foods they eat. You know, like the growing trend now is that we're taking our kids almost from birth and putting them on gluten-free, um, all-natural, vegetarian, vegan. It, it depends why, right? So, like, it depends how it's approached. Okay, say these um, are normal kids, no health issues, Literally, our, the parents are on these <laughs> diets, so now they force their kids into the same. So, like, it's a going trend now is kids aren't experiencing meat until they sneak it when they're teenagers. Oh, my gosh. Well, if yeah. that's the worst thing they're doing as a teenager, I feel like we should all start out with a vegan diet. Um, it's, as long as it's done correctly, um, children of any age can certainly be raised vegetarian or vegan. Um, the problem becomes if you're doing it for a trend and you're just really uninformed, you can end up with vitamin deficiencies, especially B12, um, which then impacts your your body, anybody's body's ability to um, like turn food into energy is the basic way to put it. Uh, so you can end up with vitamin deficiencies depending on how restrictive the diet is. Um, another one I see is if you've got overweight kids, parents are like, oh, they should be low carb, right? Because that's the general narrative for adults. Not saying it's right because it's not, but that's what's out there, right? And so then suddenly I've got parents that are trying to restrict their carb intake for their kids. And I'm like, the child's still growing. Right, and so by restricting carbs, you're not giving them the, the energy source that their body needs to function, run their brain, and learn, um, grow their brain, uh, give them the energy that they need to function during the day to grow their body. Um, children actually have a higher carbohydrate need than adults. Like our needs change. Our, our like macronutrient needs change throughout our lifetime, um, and just by the nature of what children's bodies need to be able to do, they need more calories than you would typically think. Like if you're looking at an adult that size, they would get away with eating less um, because the child has all of these other processes basically running in the background, like develop. Their needs are different. Yeah, so it can, that, it can more I guess, if it gets bad, you can 
damage their development. Because, you know, I went through, I, I didn't do it with my kids, but that was like the first thing. And that, to me, you know, the, the biggest misconception with food now is like your kid's hyperactive or your kid's um, got a mental health issue, um, ADHD, ADD, um, autism. The first thing people do yeah. is they pull their kids off carbs. They pull them off of gluten without having them tested. They um, start eliminating the dyes and all the, and basically you take kids who have restricted diets naturally and restrict them even more and forcing them to eat only healthy, good stuff, and they don't get enough fat. And it, you know, so, yeah, there are, like, there's always the exception to the rule, right? There are cases where, like, diet and severe restriction do make an improvement. Um keto diet, for example, right? Stunningly effective for epilepsy control in children. Yes. That's that's the only case where somebody should actually be using it and it should absolutely be done under like a doctor's supervision. Um, But because it has that great of an impact on that child's body, right? And it's that was one of the first things. I don't remember who asked me when I first went into private practice, like who I was going to be seeing. And I was like, the one thing I will not touch will be like a fab diet for like ADHD, autism, that kind of thing. I'm just not going down that route because I would need to see like a good body of research, right? Back to that research component. There is none. Um, I would need to see a good body of research. Yeah. And you would know that. There, it, it, Literally, it started out with a doctor that claimed that vaccines caused autism, and now it's different trends based on theories that different professionals claiming to be able to cure it <laughs> through diet. But there is no actual hardcore study correlation between physical activities and links to diets and changes with autism or any other mental health issue other than, you know, caffeine is proven to help kids with ADD and ADHD slow their minds down, slow their bodies down. Because of the stimulant, yeah. Correct. Stimulants do the opposite (laughs) with kids with ADHD. Yeah. Um, and that study with the like vaccines and autism is a really great example of why, like how fast something with an emotional charge travels, right? Because that study's been disproven, and yet we still talk about it. Mm-hmm. It still comes up, and people still refer to it, even though it's been disproven a few times. Like. It wasn't just one other study that came out to disprove it. Like, it's been multiple. Um, same thing happens with, like, artificial sweeteners, right? It's, it's emotionally charged to say, like, oh, artificial sweeteners are going to make you eat more. Um, even though it's been that study came out and then it was disproven, um, 
but we still talk about it anyway, right? Because it it you know has that emotional charge and gives us something to blame. That we get the blame factor, but then you get celebrities endorsing it, and that is like yeah. my biggest pet peeve. And I now deliberately go the opposite way. If I see a celebrity endorsing something, I deliberately go the opposite way, just because most of them are doing it for a paycheck. It's nothing that's going to fix or something that they actually live through or deal with. Yeah. And so there just, should be some sort of requirement that you've dealt with the issue. I mean, there should be a lot of different requirements, but like that could certainly be one of them. You know, it's like um, one of the big advocates of vaccines in autism was Jenny McCarthy. Her son is autistic, and so she has been on a rant about it forever, about how vaccines caused it. And the started theory was is that you know children's vaccines back in the 80s had mercury in it, so it might have been a toxic. We haven't had mercury or heavy metals in our vaccines since the early 90s when it was banned. We knew about all this. But none of that ever makes sense. The vaccine you got then and the vaccine you got now are different. You know, and it came up again now just for the fact that um, Tylenol products taken when you're pregnant has, and this is a study done through John Hopkins University, John Hopkins Hospital, and it's been a year's, 10-year-long study. It isn't something that's just overnight that they have actually proven a link between Tylenol products and when you're pregnant and when they're young for fevers and things like that actually do change the medical makeup of their brain and can cause autism-like symptoms. See, so there's key words there, right? Like, um, and it'd be interesting to read it and kind of nuance out some of the wording right? Does it say can cause or is correlated to? Because is correlated to just means they're seeing the same things show up. They can't tell you they're connected. They're just seeing a pattern where both things are showing up. Um, And then there's always a copy of it. Like caveat wording. Yeah. Yeah. I've got it because they sent it to me right after it happened. Right after they started releasing the stuff, there was an article and it got buried because it didn't fall with the narrative of autism and, you know. But no, it it can cause symptoms that are autism-like. So it basically means you don't carry the autism markers, the, the different genes that are... And the weird, cool thing about autism is is that one of the genetic markers for it is actually a recessive gene carried by the father's mother's side of the family. Oh, that's so specific. The father's mother's side? Yep. Huh. It, normally, you know, in genetics, it's always a, a, a dominant trait, or both parents have to carry that recessive trait to get it. Nope, it's carried in by the father's mother's side. We had tested done. And they sat and explained it and how there's certain markers. But the thing is, is that, you know, it's the human brain. You can't test the human brain alive. You know, it's like the correlation between depression and serotonin levels 
have never been done. It's a theory. There is no actual concrete study linking serotonin levels to depression. Because you can't get in there and test a brain while it's still, how do you, I mean, I'm also not, not a brain surgeon or a neurosurgeon or a research scientist by any stretch. Well, and then they found that, you know, you have more serotonin levels in your gut than you do in your brain, which is why diet Isn't is that so, fun? so crucial. So people don't realize you are what you eat. It's, I fell down like this rabbit hole a couple weeks ago of like that gut brain connection and the impact on our mental state, right? So like, um, it's like how stressed you are basically and its impact on your ability to digest food. Um, oh, it's absolutely fascinating. And I just, I keep reading more and more of the research that's coming out and it's really been like the last like five to seven years, which in the grand scheme of things is quite recent. Um, and it's just, it's so interesting how much is there's that connection between your brain and your ability in your basically the health of your intestines, right? Um, and your ability to digest your food. Now I'm going to blow your mind because here's the cool part. Go and research Bruce Lipton. Yes. The 1950s psychologist. He figured all this out in the 50s. What's his name? Bruce Lipton. His theories on how cells and how your body is basically the same thing over and over again. And the connection between your mind and your body and what you eat and how you eat was figured out back in the 50s. And now they're That's proving so all cool. the just Nobody ran with it. Yeah, he was one of the few that ran with it, but it was all theories that you couldn't prove. But then if you look at it, we were mentally healthier because we ate better then. You know, we always sat down to meals. Well, we had full meals. I have a lot of theories. You also usually had one parent that stayed home. Yeah. And so there was somebody to cook that food, right? And to prepare those meals and run, essentially have the job of running the household while somebody else had the job, I mean, back then it was very obviously sexist, so like the man worked and the woman stayed home, but I don't care, it could be the other way around, but you had one human that stayed home and ran the house, and another human that went out and earned money, Um, and I think that that's a a big factor into like the change of not only what we eat, but how we eat, like what we're getting at, like the how you're eating too. You know, it's, I always sound really kind of weird and cool at the same time was when you watch these old shows back then, you would see them take a pot, put it on the stove, and they'd go run to the store. Oh <laughs> or they'd go to church. Yeah. <laughs> or they'd throw a roast in the oven that took all day, and they just, you know, it's like now we worry about our house burning down. <laughs> now I won't even leave, like, the exhaust being on in my bathroom when I leave the house because I'm afraid it's going to burn the house down. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) 
but it's just, you know, how we were more of a, we talked to each other then. We, you know, did things more together where now it's like your kids go heat up something to eat and then they go to their room and hide. Oh, see, I don't want to clean it up so they have to eat at the table. <laughs> also, it's better for them, but it's also a lot of I don't want to clean up food. Like my son mm-hmm. brought chips up and was eating Doritos in front of my computer while watching, I don't know, YouTube. And I came up and there were Doritos all over the floor. I was like, absolutely not. This is why we can't have nice things. I'm not the only one. You need no, to clean me. better. Yeah. <laughs> like, who raised you? You follow them. It's it really is a, a breadcrumb path. Between wrappers yeah. or, you know, bottles or cans or glass, a plate, clothes. It's like, our house isn't that big. I know where you are. You don't need to pass the train. That trail doesn't need to follow you everywhere you go. No, there's there's plenty of room to eat in our eat-in kitchen or our dining room. And you can see the TV from the dining room table. And that's another horrible habit is eating with the TV on. But I do let it happen for snacks. We do, too. We agree on, like, something to watch. We'll watch as a family. Yeah. It's um, it's more of the fact that you're not paying attention to your food, and so you're much more likely to overeat um, because it becomes like a mindless hand-to-mouth activity, basically. That's true. Or you inhale it. But, you know, I noticed before we put the TV yeah. in, the kids would, or we'd inhale the food to get back to TV. Or get uh, back to something. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I'd interrupt whatever they were doing, and so they'd sit there like, Mom, we're just, I'm like, no, eat first, and they'll inhale it, and then they'll go away. Like, it's still going to be there. Yeah, but, you know. Believe it or not. <laughs> isn't it funny how, you know, we tend to forget that as we get older? It does. Yeah, we definitely lose sight of it, and I think that it it bears reminding for everybody, right? Like, uh, food's still going to be there, which when you're dealing with people that, especially that grew up in, like, a food scarcity type situation, they that's a really hard thing to wrap your mind around once you are food secure and letting go of that. And that's something that I saw with my grandparents who ended up very, very overweight. Um, and they both grew up extremely food insecure. Like my, my, well, my grandma doesn't tell the story, but her children will tell the story about how one night my grandmother, um, her dad, they suddenly had meat on the table, and it was because um, dad cooked the pet goat, so that they had food to eat. It's a very different situation than they ended up in in their uh, retirement years, for sure. But it was like a mindset that's really hard to let go of. 
Right, you either go two different directions, but they're both extreme. So you either yeah, tow it when you got it, and then you ha- eat it all the time it's available because you're afraid it's not going to be available, or you don't eat enough because you want to save it to make sure you have it for the next day. Oh, yeah, and realizing, like, there will be more. Yeah. I think that's something that a lot of people that grew up, like, during the war and during the Depression had – To overcome. Yeah. You know, I always grew up with my grandma always telling, you know, making sure we always had flour, sugar, eggs in the house. Because no matter what. Then you, you can, can make, make just about anything. Yeah. You never go hungry when you got something. So I learned how to make things out of nothing. Well, yeah, we learned a lot of baking and stuff growing up. At least I did. I guess my brother did, too. He could make a mean jelly roll cake um, because my mom wasn't about to spend money on a box mix, right? It was cheaper to keep those things in the house, like the flour, sugar, eggs, milk, um, make something. Isn't that crazy when you think about it, how – you know, now it's the opposite. It's cheaper just to go buy a box mix than it is to buy all the ingredients. It's actually, is it? It can be. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, it. well, sometimes they go on sale for real cheap, those box mixes, and it is, for sure. Because a box mix is like a dollar fifty at the most. Like, okay, I live in the middle of nowhere, so that kind of stuff is cheaper. But, like, you know... A sack of flour. There's definitely box mixes that are under a dollar where I am now. Yeah. You know, um, a thing of flour, a small thing of it's a couple bucks. It's like $3 here, which is ironic. Sugar is like a buck and a half. Because <laughs> you're probably surrounded. I don't, now I want to do a cost analysis, which I recognize is like overkill and we don't need it. <laughs> well, you know, it's, like what's killer for us is, and I'm thankful my pastor, you know, raises her own chickens. And now when we move, this, that's what my husband wants to do. And I, I, I'm i laughing at him because he has no idea the amount of work it actually takes to deal with a chicken. But, you know, eggs are expensive, especially out here because we have the bird flu issue. Something happened out here where eggs got up to like dollars a dozen. Was that just local or was that a national thing? It's a national thing because we had an outbreak of the bird flu. <coughs> so oh, a that, lot of yeah, and then um, back down now though. And then I know that because of the bird flu here, I know there was a class action lawsuit because um, other companies were price gouging. Oh, anything for the profit. That is. That's how our industrial society works. But there's so many, you know, misconceptions with that and so many misconceptions with, you know, the fad diets and, you know, living healthy, you know, 
we're still using the same charts that we used in the 50s for height and weight for kids with slight modifications, but they really haven't adjusted much for standard-wise. What they've adjusted is like the um, percentage charts. And it's a lot of those charts are based on such antiquated knowledge or um, I forget off the top of my head which charts, but there are some charts that were created by MetLife, by an insurance company, a life insurance company, not anything medical based or like realistic. Um, so, and you have charts, so many BMI, that track this and then they tell you, uh, you know, your kids get, have to, they're starting to plump up a little bit so they, they need to, you know, start watching what they're eating. It's like, is she growing? And then, yeah, and then you have, yeah, kids that are nervous to eat because they don't want to get overweight and it's like, you're not actually overweight. It's just this random chart. That's it. And, you know, like my biggest pet peeve is doctors talking about the kids that, as they're in the room in a negative light and not acknowledging a daughter here, they understand you. Yeah, they're there. They understand. And it's their body and they should understand. True. But if you're not overweight, but you're adjusting to a chart that says you are potentially going to be overweight in about five years when you're a teenager, we got issues. That's where I have the issue with anyway. Well, it is one o'clock. How long does this show run for you? Uh, we're almost done. So, back. okay. <laughs> uh, I don't want you to be off or, track. Oh no. Um, where can people get a hold of you besides on Wednesdays at noon? Well, besides the Wednesday show at twelve o'clock. You can find me most active on Instagram. Um, it's my name, Beth Wyman, W-Y-M-A-N underscore R-D. Um, and um, I am, one of my goals is to be more active in the Nutrition Matters section of the Optimize My Life Facebook page. You can always get a hold of me there, too. And Beth is not just in person, but she does do everything telehealth-wise, too. So, you know. I do. Everything I do is virtual. It's been the best experience. And it's literally a phone call away. Absolutely. And what about your app? Or, I'm sorry, oh, your planner, meal planner. the, um, the Yes, so I made a meal planner, and actually in my Instagram bio, the link tree, right, and you can click right there, and it'll take it take you directly to my meal planner, um, mindful meal planning, and you can buy it on Amazon. Uh, it's for an entire year of meal planning and tracking. It goes through how to set goals, how to break them down into actionable steps, um, to really drive success, right? And this is, right, that exchange system that I mentioned when I first got on at some point, 
is completely based around that exchange system to build the foundation so that you can move towards more of just intuitive eating. Um, you definitely, any intuitive eating journey really needs to start with increasing awareness and mindfulness around what you're eating. And I found the best way to do that is to start keeping track and actually write it down. Well, I really think you should convert that into an app too. I don't know how to do that. If you want to, <laughs> if you want to help me, I can help you this spring. Do you I know? can certainly convert it to an app. Yeah, yeah. there's actual um, platforms where it's no coding. You just literally click and it's like building a website. But I got a friend who's building my app for me, and um, he'd be more than happy to help you do yours. Because I am building yeah, an app. Yeah, that'd be very cool. For um, families with special needs so that they can have, like, a communication in one spot. So, like, all your different services and your teachers and everybody can sit and communicate together so you all know what's going on in real time. But it's also going to be... Um, a link for law enforcement so they have resources and help and there's a bunch of stuff coming out this summer with it. That's cool. It's my personal project just to make my life easier. Yeah, and I mean, if you know it's going to make your life easier, you know it's going to help other people too because you are living that in that world. That's it. And playing, I hate emails and getting emails from five different people and having to forward it to different people. It just drives me nuts. So it is a new year. It is a same old great radio show with new things coming up without the year. This, you know, as we talked earlier, the summer, the TV network is going to be launched. Um, we're going to be holding more webinars and seminars coming up this spring. There's a lot to see when it comes to Optimize My Life, and there will be a place for everybody. And remember to follow in our Facebook group so that if there is something you want to talk about, there's something going on, you have a question about a new fad diet or, you know, one to go to. And a lot of her, her shows oh, are based on... Let me on know. I love it. A lot of different things that we see on social media and we try to debunk or, you know so that you can live your best life. Join us back here on Wednesday at noon for Best to Heal. And she will be talking about living your best life, healthy and nutrition-wise, but practical. And how to sustain a healthy lifestyle for your mind and body. Have a good day. Have a good night. We'll see you back here tomorrow at noon. Bye for now. Thanks, Beth. Bye. Yeah, thanks, Mary. Thank you for tuning in to Optimize My Life Radio. <sighs> we hope you found today's show insightful and helpful. Remember to follow us oh, on social that? media at Optimize My Life for updates, additional resources, okay. and to stay connected with our community. Join us back here tomorrow at 12 p.m. Eastern for another enriching episode as we continue our journey towards a more fulfilling and